please send Mashiach now. Amen. May it be so. May we soon see Mashiach. Amen. It was such a great day. So continuing on in Parsha and more, um, I want to go ahead and talk about the Omer because I've been on this comparison of Emor, which is to say an Omer, which means uh, the sheaf, the bundled of the barley that we're counting right now during Sephirat HaOmer. The cool thing about what we're actually doing is that we don't really know the full effects of the Omer, but Bezrat Hashem, uh, as we get into Lakute Torah this week, uh, we will discuss that just a little bit. So, uh, where I want to start is actually um, with some Lakute Torah drops uh, from Miketz and uh, from other Hasidic writings like, uh, what do we got here? We got uh, Ham, Hamshek 5762, volume 1, page 46. Lakute Torah, Hukat 56c. Uh, uh, Torah or Miketz 38b. And then, of course, I'll be in Lakute Torah for Parsha and more as well. So, the first thing is um, understanding that there is an animal soul and a godly soul within us, uh, Yehudim, especially understanding that, you know, every every person has really this makeup, but you have a dormancy that is uh, in the, the, the physical makeup and the spiritual makeup of every human being especially those who are outside of Torah, those who are, you know, living for themselves, carpe diem type stuff, and those who are uh, in idolatry and things like that, there is a dormancy to the godly soul, which is really the part of us that really gra- gravitates towards Hashem, towards Torah, towards mitzvot, uh, light, and things like that. And then there's the element in us of the evil inclination, which is not necessarily the animal soul, but it's the drive to do evil, like to eat, uh, to eat non-kosher food, to violate the Shabbat, to dress immodestly. Those are all uh, tactics of the evil inclination, which, by the way, we're supposed to use the evil inclination in our service to Hashem. So if you feel like you want to eat a cheeseburger, well, guess what? They have parved cheese that you can put on your burger. So therefore, you can actually serve Hashem by still wanting a cheeseburger and eating a cheeseburger, except you have par of cheese. Done. So your Yatahara, which wants you to have meat and dairy, you're like, okay, we can do it. We're just going to get par of cheese. So anyway, not that that is really the goal to kind of succumb to your evil inclination, because really you're supposed to uh, subdue it. But again, that's a part of the Yomer counting. But the other thing that works along with this is what's called your your animal soul. So breaking this down, it's called nefesh ha-behamit. So based off the word behema, which is the word for like the, the beast or the livestock in the field. Um, so when you look at the nefesh ha-behamit, it says this is the source of of all your self-serving, but not necessarily evil. And isn't it beautiful that, you know, there are just things that you just want in your life that just like, 
this would be super pleasing to me. But it's not something that's evil. Like me? Obviously, I'm going to go with food. Uh, Hala. Hala is not evil by any means. However, once you get over, let's go with 64 loaves. Okay, that's bad. 62, you're pushing it. But 64, okay, what's going on? Like, we need to talk about this. Now you're on Yetzirah status. Okay, I'm half kidding about that. So anyway, um, but yeah, you, it's it's like, it's okay, but like, you know, it's neutral, basically. So going on, it says that these are like your drives, okay? So you get hungry or you get tired, so you want to go to sleep, you know, or uh, you're like thirsty and you need something to drink, okay? That's your animal soul. You got to feed it, right? So it says... The example is the desire to eat non-kosher food, steal money, or do anything forbidden by the Torah. Oh, that's the evil inclination. Sleeka, jumped ahead. Let's go back. These are your drives. That's the the nefesh ha-behamit. Okay. Um, It's also called behema, too. Or uh, your lower soul is also what it's called. So it just depends on if you're in the Kabbalistic or the Hasidic um, sources. Okay, so it says, <clears throat> in one word, the animal soul is self-centered passion. That's funny, in one word, but that's like, okay, what is that? It's a bunch of words. Okay, that doesn't mean it's bad. It can be neutral or even good. Okay, so hopefully, animal soul, these are your drives, self-centered passions. Okay, now your Yetzahara. Now, it says that sometimes Yetzirah and animal soul are interchangeable, but they're really refer to two different things because they, they kind of sound similar, right? So it's like kind of getting really close. But here's the deal. Your Yetzirah, though, this literally Yetzir, like the formation, Hara, evil. So it's like the formation of the evil. Literally, if you do a, a loose translation of Yetzirah, it says, so if you think about it, your inclination to do evil. So you have a desire to eat non-kosher food, you steal, or you do anything forbidden by the Torah. These are all products of the Yetzirah. Yetzer is related to the word ziur, which is form. In other words, the Yetzirah takes the raw material of the animal soul's benign passion and provides it form by channeling it towards immoral ends well isn't that just messed up poor animal souls like man i'm just hungry and yet is like come over here and eat this so that's the beautiful thing about why you know torah observance is important because it teaches us how to master our yetahara as well as channel our our uh animal soul and as we're counting the Omer, the Omer is literally binding up grain for our animal soul. We're literally feeding on transform, transforming our emotions. So it's like you have issues with your uh, your endurance, you know, and we, we've gone through net talk. We've been talking about different aspects of it, enduring with passion, enduring with um you know, uh, firmness and kind of a, 
uh, strict bounds, you know, like we will not go past this point kind of thing. So setting your borders and then, you know, the, uh, the balancing out of the rigidness with the, with the kindness, you know, and how you endure through things, your bonds, your relationships and such, you know, so that's just one example, but you're feeding that. So all these things that we're meditating on for the Omer, we're literally feeding that to our animal soul. And so if you really think about it, we're telling our Yetahara that this is what we're going to do. And we're telling our Yetahara, hey, bring this to the animal soul. So the godly soul that work with the, in us is like a manager or steward, if you will, who's got employees. And his main employee is the Yetahara. And the beneficiary of this uh, employee-employer relationship is the animal soul within us. So the very things that we're driven to do, because we all want relationships, we all want to aspire to achieve our goals, and we all want to, uh, you know, just be successful in our service to Hashem. So it's kind of a three-part thing that's going on, if not more. Uh, So when you really look at, you know, your godly soul has to have conviction it has to have authority it has to know what it wants you know it can't be wishy-washy like oh maybe i'll service him today maybe i don't know if i'm really in you know 100 percent with torah or if i really want to count the elmer if i really want to look forward to the torah you know do i really want to be torah observing anyway like you know i don't know about this jewish stuff so if you're if your godly soul is doing that you know got to fix that you know kind of thing so making adjustments and tis the season this is the season for adjustments this is the season for pie on your face you know like if you just feel like oh my gosh i fell on my face again you know this is the season we got 49 days to to work it out because the beautiful thing about the 50th day this is where hashem takes over and the 50th day literally is Shavuot, which is like so awesome because Hashem's like, all right, you've been really working hard and man, you, you cleaned yourself up quite a bit. I know you doesn't feel like it, but if you really compare yourself to where you were at Pesach and if you've really been getting after it, meditating and focusing and really taking advantage of all the circumstances you're going through, like I'm sure you've moved just a little bit. Okay. Just from going through the Pesach Seder alone was like leaps and bounds, you know. So anyway, and the fact that you're still entering in the Shavuot, like if you're doing that, and then after Shavuot, the next Moedim and the next Moedim, you know, like if you're doing that, you are making leaps and bounds, whether it feels like it or not. This is why it's important for us to know we don't live by our feelings, you know, we don't, uh, we don't judge how well we're progressing by what it feels like we judge by results and we judge by what are we dedicated to what is the constant and consistent thing in our life you know uh just thinking about you know being in quarantine and having you know extra time not having to work and things like that it's like what has been my main focus What has been the main thing that I've been doing? You know, you have to look at your life like that, because if you realize, well, what I do all day, well, if I really think about it, phones now apparently have this thing called screen time and they like tell you how much screen time you had on your phone. 
So I think that's really cool, but it's it's kind of weird because it's like, well, what if you got all this screen time? What's your screen time spent doing? Is your screen time spent reading and uh, researching sources, or is it spent watching cats and TikToks and all sorts of stuff like that? You know. And so, anyway, that'll that'll help with giving a sober view of of self. So. With that being said, I want to jump over here into Lakute Torah Miketz, where it's actually describing the animal soul and the godly soul like a flame of a wick. So it says the flame of a wick contains various colors. There are dark colors and light colors. Within these colors, there is a slight black shade. It is the burning of the wick that causes this color to change. The more refined colors of the wick give off a white colored light. I love this because it says that the soul of man is the candle of Hashem, which is in the writings of Mishle, Proverbs. And so if you really think about refining ourself and how we're talking about, you know, the burning of the wick causes the colors to change and the more refined parts of the wick give off this white color. It says, while the coarse parts of the wick give off a dark colored light. So these are the not so refined parts of the flame. It says these two colors represent two different forms of godliness that reside within a godly soul or that reside when a godly soul performs a mitzvah. One is called, wow, is that really? Okay, Ispaklaria Hamera, which is similar to viewing the godliness through a pair of glasses. So this is like a perceptive term. Like how, how are you, how much clarity do you have in these glasses? Are these glasses super dense like you need to get some uh some some stuff some heavy duty cleaning uh solution or do you just need like you know a little bit of water and just kind of a little uh wet wipe or something like that or do you do the the whole like blow on the like you know on the glass and then kind of wipe it on your shirt so you can see better through the glasses so that's kind of what that term is talking about and it says so and east which is similar to one who is looking at a mirror. So we got glasses versus mirror. Okay. So, and it says, these are the two different forms of godliness that reside when a godly soul performs a mitzvah. So with the, the whole part of you that's like, man, I'm really for Hashem and I'm really going to make this happen. So there's two aspects. You have either the, the glasses and how clear or not clear they are versus the mirror and how clean or dirty it is. So you got these like two facets here that we're looking at. And it says, although one cannot see through the mirror, the mirror allows one to see what is behind him. She got foresight and hindsight here. This is really cool. And it says, the mirror allows one to see what's behind him. The regular performance of the mitzvot 
Okay, so if you're just doing a regular performance, it says, by the godly soul draws a clean and steady experience of godliness. So if you're super consistent with your mitzvot, you're, you're going to bring down a clean and steady experience of godliness. This is represented by the white flame. This shows refinement, uh, removing all the coarseness, and you're cleaning out the glasses, and you got a pretty good-looking mirror so that you can see behind you. So then it says, However, when the godly soul is invested within a body and an animal soul, which is the case in this world, so really inside your animal soul, that's where your godly soul is. So behind all your drives is really your really like you really want Hashem. So it's it's so crazy that even within what we just want and our hungering, our tiring, our uh, just need of uh, something desirous, like inside of all that is Hashem, like Hashem in us, like our godly soul. So even in those things, we want to please Hashem, which, by the way, is the secret of unlocking the redemption in this world is like that. I mean, that's part of it, where if we can use all of our drives and our desires and our passions and things that we have a lot of fervor about and reveal Hashem in those things, that's where it's at. This is why Kashrut is so amazing, because the very thing that we know we need to do at some point. We're going to get hungry with the help of Hashem. It's like, well, let's make this all about Hashem. And it's like, well, we're going to bless our food before we eat. We're going to eat something that's kosher. And then we're going to bless after we eat. And then we're going to use the food that we ate to do something nice, you know, to do another mitzvah, you know, kind of thing. And then you think about, well, I'm really tired, so I'm going to go to sleep on time. I'm going to say the bedtime Shema before I go to sleep. Say the Modeyani when Hashem brings my soul back to my body, you know, and uh, and how you sleep and things like that. So all these things just kind of come into play. And what you're doing is you're causing more and more of Hashem to saturate the world because each one of us exerts uh, influence in, in our existence, just with our existence. You know, the very walls of your house uh, receive Kedusha or Chaspe Shalom the impurity that comes out of you. And so does your family. You know, your family knows if you're if you're really trying and if you're really walking in righteousness or not. So, you know, and then obviously, you know, your friends and your people at work and the people you're in line with at the store, you know, they know if you're I mean, it's it's this very intuitive thing cuz that's the that's the aura that's around you, you know. Aura is a real thing. So anyway, just to kind of throw all that out there, it says that, however, when the godly soul is invested within a body and an animal soul, which is the case in this world, then there is a coarse barrier that blocks its experience of godliness, similar to the silver of a mirror that blocks one from seeing the other side of the glass. Nevertheless, notice it says, nevertheless. So we have coarseness, we have impedance here, but regardless of all that, here we go. By performing the mitzvot in this way, the body and the animal soul, one turns the animal soul into holiness and in fact 
gains an experience of godliness that he could never have attained without it. This is similar to the silver coating that blocks the view of the glass but allows the viewer to see behind him, which is much greater which is a much greater novelty than simply seeing forward. The burning off of this coarse material of the animal soul is represented by the black and dark flame. So what we're actually doing when we do mitzvot and specifically when we're nourishing the animal soul within us with the mitzvot, we're actually bringing about holiness and godliness on a, on a very more, uh, on a very much more so intensified and minute level. So this would be the proverbial, uh, moving up the baseline, you know, like raising the bar of just your baseline uh, existence. So that, and then from the 23rd day of the Omer, which was um, Givura Sheb Netzach, it says, we must use discernment and make judgment with patience and love to reflect justice which is eternally bonded to the Torah. So how are we judging? And then, you know, navigating through that to do it appropriately and having the patience to do so with causing that whole thing to be a reflection of the justice that we find in the Torah, which we know as the righteousness. So yes, righteous judgment is what this is all talking about here. It says through Torah obedience and actions and action our souls are connected to our father the sovereign king of the universe one who offers his children or who offers his children the entire house of Israel eternal life through his plan of salvation. So eternal life comes through Hashem's plan of salvation, which is obedience to the Torah and the actions of our soul that go with that, which again, back to the mitzvot. So if you're really saying that you have salvation, that should mean that you're operating in eternal life, which is expressed and Torah observance and action, specifically action of our souls, which would connect us to Hashem. So there's that. And then it goes on to say the Torah that those or the Torah that have chosen, the Torah those that have chosen to be obedient to and eat each of these spiritual fruits will receive the gifts of the spirit they bring. So now we're talking about gifts of the spirit as we're talking about the eternal life that's found in the salvation, which is encapsulated all in Torah obedience and action of our souls. So again, we have to choose this and through that there's fruit that is available 
And each of these fruits will receive the gifts of the Spirit through that. So let's go over the gifts of the Spirit, why don't we? Because, I mean, this is an interesting approach here, you know, as far as I'm concerned, because I'm like, what is happening right now? Like through counting the Omer, we're looking at, you know, attaining eternal life, for lack of a better term. So I want to go to Galatia and where are we at here? What chapter? Oh, because it's known as fruit of the spirit. Okay, yeah. See, again, there's nothing new in the New Testament, you know. Okay, chapter 5, starting at 22. Just kidding. Starting in, um, starting in 16. Which, by the way, this is going to take us back to uh, the Agarit to the Romans, chapter 8. You know, all about our life in Mashiach. So, over here, we're talking about being in the Spirit. So, being in the Spirit is being in Mashiach which is amazing, which is encapsulated in choosing to be Torah observant and doing mitzvot and doing everything in uh, righteous judgment, con being connected to Hashem by the actions of our soul. I mean, it all just kind of compounds on itself. So this, this, again, would be why it's important to understand what's really in the mitzvot as opposed to what is the mitzvah. Because many people think, oh, I can't believe you eat kosher. I don't know how you're doing that Shabbat thing. And it's like, well, it's not just that I'm eating kosher or that I'm just doing Shabbat. It's like a whole lot involved here because there's this connection we're having with Hashem. And so there's this relationship that's leading to transformation and actions. And then those actions are a whole part of a whole plan known as salvation, you know, and then there's eternal life. So all these different things. But it says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh craves what is contrary to the spirit. Now, you can look at the flesh. Blah, you can look at the flesh here as the Yatahara because it's actually craving evil. OK, so. If you really want to look at your your flesh, you know, is my flesh my animal soul or is it the Yetzirah? Well, your flesh technically is the Yetzirah because it desires anti-Torah. It desires lawlessness. So if you really think about the self-incrimination that's going on by people who say we don't want the law of God because we got Messiah, that's two kinds of crazy inside of crazy. Because we know that Messiah is the law manifest and then that being in Messiah is being in the law. So it's kind of interesting. But anyway, says the flesh craves what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are opposed to each other. Is anybody ever opposed to you being in the spirit of Hashem, which is the Torah? It's interesting. It says that but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law again we talked about that last week 
because you're you're basically you're not under it like it's not weighing you down it's not mowing you over you know you're becoming one with it and remember the law was only heavy due to sin so if you really think about your flesh is like oh it's so burdensome i can't believe i'm under this law you know but yet if you're in the spirit the law is light as a feather it's floating it's carrying you so you know really the law technically would be under you because it's lifting you up so there's that but literally walking by the spirit is walking in the law so there's there's really no way you're under it at that point so it goes on to say the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality impurity debauchery idolatry sorcery hatred discord jealousy rage rivalries divisions factions envy drunkenness orgies and the like i warn you as i did before okay so here we go so galatians he talked to them before already so why is there only first galatians why is this not second galatians i don't know just something to think about he didn't only talk to the people in galatia one time so that's interesting it says that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And remember, the kingdom of God is the Torah. We learned that in the Tehillim, the Psalms. Okay, now, here we go. Verse 22, but the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, the fruit, it says, that those who choose the Torah who have chosen to be obedient to it and eat each of these spiritual fruits will receive the gifts of the spirit they bring. Okay. So when we choose Torah obedience, those are likened to fruits that we eat. And what is that? Love. Well, then we learn the Shema, right? Joy. And then we learn in Devarim that if you don't serve Hashem with joy, then it will be a curse for you. And then we have Shalom. And then we have the whole idea that we just learned in Kedoshim about having that Shalom community-wise. Because unless you're in a community, you can't really be Kadosh. You know? And so you have to have Shalom. You have to have all these different uh, opposite uh, entities coming together in a, in, a, in a bond. Also known as Echad. So making shalom between yourself so that you can be in a hot kind of thing yourself and others. So you, then you got patience, you know, how you're really understanding the dynamics of, you know, your own self walking with Hashem, growing, maturing. Also your patience with other people. Then you have your kindness. Hashem says we're supposed to be people of chesed. You know, because that's what Abraham was. And Abraham, Abraham will teach his children after him in righteousness and kindness. It says in goodness. I said before you life and death, which is uh, the good and the evil, the blessings and the curses. Choose life, which will be good, which is blessing. 
Okay, so there's that one. Faithfulness, that we're to be faithful to Hashem, serve Him and only Him, no other God, right? Then we have gentleness. You know, how are we how are we dealing with people? You know, how, what's our approach like? You know, and we're to have a soft answer so we turn away harsh wrath. Then we have self-control, which is also known as Musar. How much are we really refining ourselves and uh, really growing in the knowledge and the understanding of who Hashem is, the God that we serve? So these are all fruits. And it says, and against such things, there is no law. Right, because if you're not violating the Torah, there's there's nothing there for you, you know? Like, if you're driving the speed limit, okay, how are you breaking the law at that point? There's no law that says, you know, drive the speed limit or you're out. You can go under the speed limit. If you go over the speed limit, then you could get in trouble, you know, uh, things like that. So just kind of taking into consideration these things. But there's no law for you to go what the speed limit says. Now, the speed limit is, I mean, the law is don't break the speed limit, you know. But if you're fulfilling the speed limit, then there's no law against it. So then you have this, that was probably a really terrible example, but, you know, hopefully you get the, the principle of it is that, you know, if you're fulfilling what needs to be done, then there's no law against you being obedient kind of thing. Oh, well, that's exactly what he's saying here. There's no law against you being obedient. I mean, your people of shalom, your people of love, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. I mean, that's what Hashem wants us to do. That's that's in the Torah. That's what Mashiach teaches us to do. If you're filled with the spirit of Hashem, that's what you will do. Okay. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Mashiach have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So we've offered up our animal soul, just like we offer up the ram and the bulls and the lambs, the grain, the wine libations, you know, the doves. We've offered that up. So, therefore, the drives and the passions we have now are subjugated to Hashem. So, therefore, we're going to want to look for things so that we can operate in love. We're going to want to look for joy. We're going to want to look for shalom. We're going to want to look for patience. We're going to want to look for kindness. Like, And these are just naming a few things. So, it's like, if you really think about what that's saying... Like our animal drives now become the drives of Hashem's drive for his glory to be made known in the world, for his oneness to be declared, for his will to be done, his kingdom to come. But that is our drive now. Our drive is not for all this immorality and impurity and debauchery and all that kind of stuff. So, your Yatahara, which is the desires the evil desires that also got offered up. So now your Yetahara 
inside of your your animal soul here is placed on the place that links us up with Hashem and makes this conduit for Hashem's influence to flow into us. So it says, since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. So the thing is, is that even though we're in this, the Ruach HaKodesh, we still have to move along with it. You know, as we're counting the Omer, okay, so what? You've counted 20-something days already. And it's like, all right, cool. Well, the next 20-something day is coming up now, so count it. You know, don't just stop back or try to run ahead and all this kind of stuff. That's how that's how things go haywire. So if you just kind of stay, stay in the pocket, if you will. You know, when Shabbat's here, we're in Shabbat. When, you know, we're in the, the first day of the week, we're in the first day of the week. You know, like going with the flow. And then... As you're doing that, make sure you don't puff yourself up, which is the conceited, because that's connected to provoking and envying one another. It's really hard to provoke people and to envy people if you're humble and you consider other people better than yourself. You know, like you just get all yourself out of the way at that point. You know, again, they talk about how, how much space do you take up on a bench? You know, are you the person that sits on the bench and just sprawls all out and nobody can sit down? Or do you sit like all the way on the edge of the bench so that like you're practically falling off of it? So it's like, why are you even sitting here? Or do you sit on the bench like a normal person and there's space for other people to sit? You know, because that's how we're operating here. You have this opportunity like to figure out how you're going to do. Are you going to? Are you going to just kind of, you know, be uh, over, uh, what do they call that? Man, false humility. Are you going to have false humility? Are you going to have, like, lots of arrogance? Or are you just going to, you know, go and step with the Ruach HaKodesh and esteem others above yourself? So, want to cut down on the envy and all that. So now... I mean, this is like a chunky way to really get into talking about the Elmer, but I mean, hey, this is what we're doing, you know, and we're saying these brakas and we're reading these meditations and really just kind of taking them to heart. And we're changing a whole lot of intricate things about ourselves. And you'll see that you'll start responding to things differently and perceiving things differently. Again, the glasses and the mirror, you know, so and the the colors of the fire that's on the wick burning on the candle here. So Bezrat Hashem, we got a lot of refinement and things going on. So I want to start out. Well, I mean, I'm, we're already going, but I want to go into now uh, a story from Torah Wellsprings, which is collected thoughts from Rabbi Elimelech Bitterman Shlita. And this is compiled by Rabbi Baruch Tversky. And um, here's a story. It's called a, a mashal. So here's a little parable action. All right. 
I'm going to do this without interrupting myself. All right. You hear that, self? No interruptions. All right, here we go. There was a Poritz who owned many inns, which were run by Yidin. One day, he went to one of his innkeepers and asked to be invited for a dinner. The Yid replied that he would be honored with the visit. The Yid prepared a special meal. Prepared a special meal for the Poritz, which cost him more than he could afford. The Poritz looked at the beautifully laid table and asked, Where's the Swiss cheese? Didn't you prepare Swiss cheese for me? He didn't. The Poritz told or the Poritz told his aide to beat the Yid cruelly because he didn't honor me properly. The following morning, the Poritz met up with another Yid and said he wants to come to his home for supper. When the Yid was cooking and preparing a special meal for the Poritz, yesterday's host of yesterday's host of came by and said the Poritz is crazy over Swiss cheese make sure you have Swiss cheese it wasn't easy to find Swiss cheese in their village and or but he understood the importance of the matter and managed to get Swiss cheese he served it to the Poritz together with other delicacies the Poritz asked and where is the Persian halva? Don't you have halva? Halva prominently placed in the middle of the table, he asked. And where is the French bread? I'm sorry. I didn't know you wanted halva. The Poritz didn't accept his apology. And he told his servants to beat him for not honoring me properly. He didn't even want to buy halva for me. The next day, the Poritz asked the third innkeeper whether he could come for supper. The innkeeper graciously agreed, and he soon received a heads up from the two previous hosts, warning him to serve Persian halva and Swiss cheese. The Poritz looked at the royal table that it was set for him with Swiss cheese and Persian halva. His men beat up this innkeeper, too, because he didn't honor me. He didn't even want to buy French bread for me. The Poritz himself or invited himself to a fourth home. And it says the first three hosts warned him to prepare Swiss cheese, Persian halva and French bread. But he didn't prepare anything at all. When the Poritz came, there was only dry bread on the table. The Poritz asked is this how you honor me? The Yid replied, You don't want to eat. You want an excuse to beat up a Yid. Why should I work for nothing? If you want, you can beat me up now. The Nimshal is, The Yetzahara comes to a person and tries to make a Yid feel down and dejected. The Yetzahara knows that if he comes dressed in the clothes of the Yetzahara, no one would listen to him. But if he pretends to be the Yetzer Tov, who is solely trying to rebuke the Yid to be more cautious with mitzvot, 
The Yid takes the Yetzirah's rebuke seriously because he thinks it's the Yetzir Tov. And he feels bad about his shortcomings and sins. But then he becomes depressed and dejected, and that was the Yetzirah's original plan. The Yid discovered that it wasn't the Yetzir Tov after all. It was all the Yetzirah trying to bring him to despair. Then the Yetzirah comes again and he finds some other faults in the Yid. For example, the first time he told the Yid he isn't learning enough Torah. The second time he tells him he wasn't careful with Kashrut. He was. He wants to discourage the Yid again, but the Yid shouldn't listen to him. He has already learned that this is the Yetzirah trying to throw him into despair. The last time the Yetzirah tricked him and won. So why should he pay attention to his words this time? The Yetzirah comes with many hats. Always rebuking the Yid for some sin. But his intention is the same. An excuse to beat up the Yid and to throw him into despair. A wise person will shout, You're the Yetzirah. You want to make me sad. I don't want to hear anything you say. Bruce him. Okay, now that was kind of confusing at points, but, you know, hopefully you followed uh, okay. And, um, again, there are some of these uh, Yiddish words that are being used in here. But I just love that whole scenario. You know, this person is like, invite me to your house for supper. It's like, okay, well, you don't have any Swiss cheese? Ah, I'm going to beat you, you know, next person. Oh, you don't have any halva? Oh, come on now. Oh, you don't have any French bread? You know, and the fourth person is like, look. Here's your dry bread, homeboy. Beat me up. I'm done. You know, and it's like realizing that's how the Yetzirah is. You're like thinking, you know, oh, I need to do better. Oh, I just if I could just fix this one thing. Oh, if I could just not be so late to to, you know, get started with Shabbat and all this kind of stuff, then, you know, everything will be fine. It's like, OK, you want to start Shabbat on time. I get it. But, you know, if you're if you've never you know, been there at that level, you know, things have changed in your life or something like that. You can't really fault yourself for, you know, being behind. But the thing is, you feel like you are and your Yetzirah is going to capitalize on that. He's going to capitalize on all your insecurities, going to capitalize on all your insufficiencies, all of your um, just where you don't feel good enough. He's going to capitalize on all that. And it's just going to just push you down. Like, it's going to be like, yeah, you ain't good enough get out of here, you know? And at that point, that's when you realize, wait a minute, the Yetzer Tov doesn't work like that. Hashem's voice doesn't work like that. We just read about the fruits of the spirit. What kind of love, patience, and gentleness is all that stuff, you know? And this is another thing too, when people come at you sideways, which means they, they're, they have an inappropriate approach to you. Uh, they talk behind leadership's back or they try to get you involved in other people's drama or they try to trip you up in your observance. They try to cause dissension within the shul and things like that because that happens. And you just got to know that and be ready for it when it tries to happen because if you're ready when it happens, then that's when you can just let loose. So anyway, someone comes at you sideways, check the fruits, okay? Don't just, don't just eat fruit because people are giving it to you, you know? It's like, oh, I got these fruits. They're fresh. And it's like, well, did you rinse them? 
And are there any worms in them? Because I'm not going to eat them. <laughs> you know, and that's how you got to be. And I know it may seem like a little harsh, but that's healthy. You know, you really want to be a part of a healthy group of people. And, and, and furthermore, if someone really has something that they want to talk to you about, there's a certain way that they would do it. And just coming to you and, and making you feel bad and just bringing this evil energy, this just bad energy to you, like, you'll know it. It just, it feels like, ugh, you know, and you feel like a, just a depression. You feel like you just had a, a horrible meal and you just like, that tasted gross, you know, like you'll have a bad taste in your mouth. Those are all signs that the Yetzirah has put on the clothes of the Yetzir Tov and tried to trip you up. And so I connected this to Bereshit 4.7 because it says that if you do well, it will lift. But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the doorway. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. And the cool thing about it is it says, team shawl bow, like you shall rule over it, which is interesting because we talked about neem shawl, which is this parable, this kind of lesson that you can learn from the story. And what you're actually supposed to do with your Yatsahara is you're supposed to team shawl, supposed to rule over it. So the whole root of everything is the shawl. So, I wanted to go with He's Kuni's commentary on this to kind of give us a little bit more to that. And he says, according to Rashi, the word is from the root shokak, shokek, which is the desire. And it says, this is the sin, this is Satan, who is constantly yearning for you in the negative sense of trying to trip you up. You might argue that if this is the case, how could God punish a person for falling into this trap? God answers, he's giving you or he has given man the power to withstand such temptation to commit sins, i.e. Ve'ata tim shal bo, and you shall rule or have dominion over him. You're able to overrule. So go to Yoken, or Yaakov's writings, chapter 1. 13 through 18, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he's dragged away and enticed by his own desire. Notice here that the the opportunity for temptation comes from you being drug away from Hashem. So if you're experiencing temptations around you, where did you step off the Hashem connection train at? You know, where did you get redirected? Where did your path diverge? Because if you go there, you can undo the the loop that you created for temptation to enter in. So, says when his desire has, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So, again, if your desires aren't bound up in Hashem's desires, i.e. you haven't crucified your flesh and his desires. If you haven't done that, now your desire is going to go off and have an illicit affair with this the sin over here, okay? And it's going to, um, desire is going to conceive and it's going to have, it's going to give birth to sin and then sin is going to grow up from a little boy 
and it's going to turn into death. So your Yetahara and your desires, if they have an illicit relationship, which means outside of Torah, okay, they're going to give birth to sin and then sin is going to grow up and turn into death. This is the proverbial understanding that the Talmud brings down that the Yatahara, the Satan, and the Angel of Death are all one. It's one entity. So you have the, the enticer, the accuser, and the one who executes the judgment. It's a triple whammy. So it says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Note, where did the Torah come from? So that means the Torah is a good and perfect gift. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. By his will he brought us forth. By, how were we brought forth? By the word of truth, which we know is the Torah. So if we're against the Torah, we're against the very thing that birthed us. So that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. So the Torah is called first fruits. And if we're born by the Torah, we're called first fruits. So I was reading in um book of our heritage and let me go ahead and get this snippet for us real quick. I was sharing this with uh Akav, Ishnatav, Neryarok, and Shoresh and Picardi. Uh let's see here. I just gotta look for the nope, nope, don't like that. <laughs> so funny. Oh, gifts are so funny. The little animated images you can send in text. Anyway, it says this. It says, because you have accepted the yoke of Torah, I consider it as if you had never sinned. And basically, this is bringing down that through us accepting the Torah, we become born again. Because born again and never sinned is synonymous in Hebrew thought, because the only way for you to be considered as not having sinned it's for you to be, have become a new creation, uh, have gone through Teshuva, and um, also being saved. Like, those are all synonymous. So, I wrote in the margins, Romans ten nine. So, I thought it was interesting uh, just to kind of look at that concept there. Because when we talk about being first fruits and being born by the Torah, you know, we have to choose that. We have to embrace that. You know, we just talked about, again, the way you eat the fruits of the spirit is by choosing the Torah, the be obedient to the Torah. And that's your oneness with Hashem. So the Kiddushé Harim, may his memory be blessed, answers that the sacrifice offering of the Omer is made from barley, which is animal feed. On Shavuot, we have the Shate Halechem, the first fruits Literally, the two loaves of bread that are with hamets. It took from Pesach to Shavuot for us to go from barley to wheat. So by the time we have wheat and our proverbial field, we can now harvest that, the first of our wheat harvest. And that's called the first fruits. So you're going to bring bread to the temple to wave before Hashem 
when for the past 49 days you've been waving bread as in barley before Shem. So now you've switched from barley. This is the first day you're on the wheat. And this is why we only count 49 days of the Omer. And the 50th day being Shabbat, Shem basically counts that day. And the way we count it is by bringing our first fruit. So we have a new offering to bring to Hashem at that point. So the 49 days of hard work and labor and transformation that we're doing culminates in these two loaves of wheat. So in Book of Our Heritage, Shavuot, page 772, it says Shavuot has many names. Hag HaChatzir, which is the festival of harvest uh, or reaping. And it says Shavuot. It's called the Festival of Weeks from the word Shavua, which is week. You know, we say Shavua Tov, like a week, a good week. Uh, and then we say it's also called Chag Habikarim, the Festival of First Fruits. And we have uh, Atzeret, which is likened to the eighth day, like Shemini Atzeret, like what we do for Sukkot. Well, Shavuot is the Atzeret, the eighth day for... Pesach. Pesach was seven days, but the eighth day of it is um, Shavuot. And it's interesting, too, because Book of Our Heritage brings down that really the Omer count is not considered an interruption. It's considered to be part of the seventh and the eighth day of Pesach. So what we're in is basically suspended animation. Where have we seen this before? Hmm. You know, uh, the first of Tishrei to the tenth of Tishrei. So you got ten days of suspended animation because this is the week of really uh, finalizing the judgment. You know, for Yom Kippur being the day of judgment, even though it's the day of atonement. You know, but you're really working out that Rosh Hashanah shofar blast into the smoke of the Holy of Holies. So, just kind of looking at what is the purpose of Hashem taking us out of Egypt. It was so that we could worship Hashem and establish his kingdom on the earth. Which is why Hashem said, you come to this mountain, you receive the Torah, and then you go to the promised land. Because once we have the Torah and we're in the headquarters of the redemption on earth, which is the land of Israel, you know, that's how that all, that's the whole plan. You're going to have the Torah, the temple, Israel, the king, all in Israel, and they're going to illuminate the entire world and bring about redemption. Undo the curse that we brought on the world of death and plagues and all that kind of stuff. Sleeka. Okay, so. So we bring these two loaves on Shavuot. And then it says they're made from wheat, which is a human sustenance. So barley is for the animals. It's considered to be animal fodder. But wheat is considered to be human food. Hence we bake it into bread. So it goes on to say, this indicates that during the 50 days of Sephirat HaOmer, we rise from being animal-like to a proper Yid. And so we aren't only anticipating Shavuot, the day of Matan Torah, which, by the way, Matan comes from the word for gift. So the gift of Hashem being the Torah. So Matan Torah, the gift. 
And if we say that we don't want the Torah anymore and we won't do the Torah, what do you think happens when you reject a gift that somebody gives you? I mean, just think about if you you're like, man, I got this beautiful gift. So excited. I'm going to get it all prepared. I'm going to set it up and I'm going to wait for this really special day. And I'm going to give you this gift. And you give that gift and the person smacks it, throws it on the ground. Don't ever give me a gift. I don't want it. I'll take this other thing over here. You know, because that's what it's like. It's like we don't want the Torah, but we want salvation. We want grace. Which is all Torah. Like the only the only way grace can exist is because of the Torah. And it's like. So if you want something other than Torah, you're insinuating that the grace that you're after is really the fruit of the serpent. It's really the fruit of evil. It's really the fruit of your Yetzirah. So you're you're not eating the fruits of the spirit. You're eating the fruits of lawlessness, of the the lawless one. The spirit of disobedience. Check this out. So if you go. Back to Ephesus again. We've been in Philippi. We've been in Galatia. Of course, we got to go to Ephesus. So we're going to go to Ephesus and we're going to be in chapter two, verse one. You were dead in your your trespasses and sins. Okay, so remember that whole thing where your enticements, your desires, they get together and they conceive and give birth to sin And then sin turns into death, right? Okay. So you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's like all those previous steps that Yaakov was talking about and that whole pattern of how everything falls out. So like you went all the way to the full blown, the the child of sin grew up and became death. So you were at death because everything that's before death is the sin and the trespasses. So you were in that. Okay, so you were all the way gone. You're like, I'm so far beyond tempted. I'm so far beyond being challenged. I'm so beyond my desires just kind of leading me away. But like I'm all the way is like, I just let my desires go. I just let my passions just run. I just let the everything, uh, my, my evil desires just get the best of me. And my evil desires working with my passions that I let go have brought me death. And so I'm just rolling with it. You know, this this is my family now. So that's what Charlotte is talking about. He's saying you're so far from the Ruach HaKodesh. It doesn't make any sense. So you were there. I was too. And he says, in which you used to walk when you conformed to the ways of this world. Here we go. And the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Just those two verses alone, you see that to be led by the spirit and to be under the power of the prince of the air, which is the power of the spirit. If you don't make a delineation of which spirit you're being led by and what power of spirit you're filled with. Uh, when it just says the spirit, it says the spirit who is now working the sons of disobedience, which is conformed to the ways of this world. Rule of the power of the air, disobedience, trespasses, sins, 
if Torah is not the standard, then how do you know if you're disobedient? If you take away the standard, then there's no way you could be disobedient. So how can this be something you can say? And note that Shaul is talking about what it's like to be alive in the Mashiach. Oh, let's read verse three. He says, all of us lived among them at one time, fulfilling the cravings of our flesh. Here we go. So you got the cravings, right? Remember, your cravings, they're not necessarily bad. But when it comes to the cravings of the flesh, that's where it gets bad. Because now we're looking at the Yetzahara as opposed to the animal soul. Your animal soul has drives. You're going you're gonna to want stuff. But when you want evil stuff, that's when your, your Yetzahara interacts with your animal soul. So now it says that that all happens and then indulging its desires and thoughts. Okay. So now the enticements have gone into the temptation. Okay. So now you're led away. It's all doing that. It's all working together, indulging its desires and thoughts. So now you're thinking about it. So not only are you having these desires that you haven't brought into a line to Torah, cause you're supposed to channel everything into Torah. That's why the Torah is called a path. It's a path for your desires to walk in. Anyway, so the desires and the thoughts. So now you're like putting some putting some momentum to it. Because remember, your thoughts are super powerful. If you're craving something that you shouldn't have, change your thoughts and watch what happens. You're like, man, I crave cheeseburgers. Well, you know, I could put part of cheese on that burger. I don't know why I'm just stuck on cheeseburgers. But I mean, there's other stuff. I mean, I don't know. I just, I guess I like food so much, so I just go straight to food. Okay, here we go. Man, I, I just really want to uh, not keep the Shabbat. And it's like, think about why you don't want to keep the Shabbat. What is it really hurting you to keep the Shabbat? You know, because you'd rather go do such and such. Okay, well, do you realize you have six other days of the week to do such and such? I know, but I just got this big game that's coming up, and man, I got to go to it. Guess what? Most games that happen on Shabbats are typically recorded. So why don't you just watch the replay? You know, why don't you watch the highlights? And you're really bringing out some incrimination here, because if any entity is more important to you than Hashem... Now, it's like, well, why are you even trying to be with Hashem if you love somebody else more? You know, it's just kind of the whole relationship thing. Or it's like, if you love somebody else, but you're trying to be in a relationship here, it's like, uh, what are you doing? You know, like, either you want to be in this relationship or you don't. Sad, you know, but that's the reality. You got to figure that out. So, anyway, we got to really know that we want to be with Hashem and we have to change our thoughts. So, Figure out some things to think about. Then it goes on to say, like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath. Mm. Children of wrath. That's a whole lot different from children of Hashem, children of the light. You know. Uh, I also had another drop here from the book of our heritage where it was calling us children of the Torah 
And I don't even know what I did with that. Oh, blessed be the name of Hashem. I love it. Page 771. So still talking about Shavuot. I I I just had this feeling that I was like, man, I'm going to want to keep this Children of Torah drop. Because I was thinking about uh, why do we call the Mashiach all, uh, Everlasting Father, Almighty God, wonderful, wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Almighty God, Prince of Peace. Like, why do we call him that? And it's like, well, because it says... They, if they were to choose, choose what? So this is a whole thing about choosing the Torah. So if we choose to do Torah, it says they would become children of the Torah from when God descended onto the mountains. So we're known as children of the Torah, which is interesting because Torah is light. So you got children of the light. Now, I shared this with uh, Hates, our uh, Shomer version of Black Bolt, and he had a really cool drop. So here we got Ephesians 5a says, For once you were darkness, but now you're in union with Hashem, you are light. Walk as children of light. First Thessalonians, you're also sons of light and sons of day. So as I'm reading on Shavuot and commenting on Shemot 19.8, all the people answered together and said, everything that Adonai has spoken, we will do. Which, by the way, is the Torah. Torah is everything that Hashem has spoken. Which, by the way, is a form of the word Amar. Because to speak is that. Okay, so Parsha Amor. And it says, then Moshe reported the words of the people to Hashem. So Chetz comes in and says, Baruch Hashem. Yeshua also said, I am the light. And the word, which is the Torah, became flesh. That comes to mind. And he gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> so I was like, say what? Okay. So again, so being children of wrath is a lot different from being children of the light. So I want to go to Shemot 19.8, Exodus 19.8. And uh, all that Hashem has spoken, it uses Asher Deber. But what the word Amor comes in, it says that we said, so we, which is uh, Vayomru, and we said, Kol Asher Deber Adonai, all that Hashem has spoken. So what I want to do is look at this word for speaking, which is Deber, and bring that over into the... Uh, the full-blown meaning over here. Just scrolling down in the uh, definition. So it's to answer, appoint, bid, command, commune, declare, destroy, and give. From the root, meaning to arrange... And figuratively of words that are spoken. So the very first time this word is used. Is Bereshit 8. 15. 
Vaidaber Elohim El Noach. Okay, so when we're looking at this here, this is in the context of getting out of the ark. Wow. Which, by the way, nobody wanted to get out of the ark. So Shem was like, move out now. So if you really think about it, whatever Hashem was like, you need to do this. And we said, absolutely, we'll do it. Which again is the Amor. So what Hashem like really, boom, like here, this is it. We really embraced it. And we were like, yeah, whatever he says, we will do. And that that Amor is in this acquiescing type thing where we, we accept it. You know, and so when when you see Vaidaber Adonai El Moshe Le Mor, so Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, you know, like literally through Moshe, it's like Hashem's commands are made more uh desirous. If you think about it, why it's so important for us to really be attached to Mashiach because we really desire Whatever Hashem says, even more so when it's when it flows through Mashiach, you know, and the way it flowed through Moshe, we were able to receive more from Hashem. Because if you remember when Hashem spoke directly to us, we were like, OK, that's enough because it caused us to die and be resurrected. And then, you know, there was loud sounds and we were trembling and just shaking. And, but when Moshe was speaking to us. I mean, it was so receptible that we could even rebel against it if we wanted to. We were like, no, Moshe, we ain't doing what you're saying. You remember Korok? Yeah, that's what th that's when that happened. And so I just think it's really interesting that you have this, this availability here of either you're going to embrace it or you're going to rebel against it. You're either going to be children of wrath or you're going to be children of Torah because of this whole and more, you know. The, the bear goes out, but then the more is like, okay, are we going to embrace the, what was spoken? You know, so what say you kind of thing? So, uh, yeah, so I just love that whole standpoint that it says that this is why we count the days that passed because each day gone by means we're further away from that lowliness. We're moving away from being super animalistic into being a human being. So that'll conclude this segment. And uh, there's a lot more to talk about on the Omer. But uh, I just really want to make sure we get the understanding of the godly soul, the animal soul, and the Yetzahara. And how the Yetzahara can uh, mingle with your animal soul, if you will. And actually bring about destruction and uh, more debaseness in us. As opposed to subjugating our animal soul to our godly soul. And dominating our Yetahara. And even causing our Yetahara to work with our animal soul. And have this beautiful relationship of super service to Hashem. Because again we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. With all of our soul and with all of our resources. So if you think about it, you know, with all of your heart, godly soul, with all of your with all of your heart, with all your soul, your animal soul, 
and your resources, the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is like it's it's evil desires can actually be just it, it literally overruled. We just read that Genesis or four, you know, you can overrule over it, overpower it, you know, and so through your heart, your soul, and your resources, you know, taking advantage of all that and bringing that to Hashem. And as we're counting the Omer, we're literally bundling that up on 49 different levels. And then Hashem is like, all right, I saw your 49. Let me hook you up with the 50th one. You know, and that's like, boom, game over. So anyway, may that be so that we dominate our Yetzirah and that we use our animal soul in divine service to Hashem and be transformed from barley into wheat.